Bible worm, Bible worm, reading the Bible with Bible worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. And I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, Professor of Religious Studies at Hendricks College and the founding pastor of Mercy Community Church in Little Rock. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian. On this last week of the narrative lectionary season, we read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. We appreciate the way that Paul draws out and builds upon imagery and tradition from the Hebrew Bible at this moment of new community formation. The winds, the fire, the role of language, all on the Jewish holiday that marks the giving of Torah at Sinai. We continue to wrestle a bit with the balance in community life between having explicit shared norms and having a shared horizon that each person moves toward through their own individual discernment. And we hear the imperative from both Hebrew Bible and New Testament to lift our eyes from our own interests to something much bigger and greater than ourselves. Thanks for joining. Hello, Bobby. Hey, Amy. How are you this week? I am doing all right. You know what this week is? Well, I have several answers to that. So, <laughs> so. Ah, pick one. Uh, no. Well, what I was thinking is that this is the last week of the narrative lectionary. That is true. It's the last week of the narrative lectionary cycle and also yeah. the last episode of Bible Worm in season two, as far as we know. Yeah, as far as we know. <laughs> Who knows what the future will bring? But yes, that is um, that is correct. I feel like there should be pizza. <laughs> that would be amazing. It's like the last day of mm, Sunday school. Pizza. So My today, other answer to your question yeah. of what day is it uh, is that it, it this is the podcast for Pentecost. It is. It is. Today is the podcast for Pentecost. That's kind of a tongue twister. And we are reading Acts chapter 2. Verses one through four. Yeah. And then included in the narrative lectionary is a little clip from Galatians chapter four, verses one through seven. And then an optional additional section that is Galatians <laughs> five, verses 16 to 26. So we're just going to do our thing and we're going to take the optional text and make it the main text mm-hmm. and take the main text and just leave it out entirely. That's what we're going to do. That's us. Bible <laughs> worm. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to just pick up reading from Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I like it. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. So Pentecost is, it's the Greek word for Shavuot. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. The word Pentecost just means 50th or something like that. So this is 50 days after mm-hmm. the, I mean, in the Christian tradition, it's 50 days after resurrection. Right. But it is the Greek name of the, of the Jewish holiday. festival, yeah. which in Hebrew is Shavuot. That's right. Got it. And the Jewish festival Shavuot 
is 50 days after Passover. Right. And the holiday is is like the the anniversary of revelation of receiving the Torah at yeah. Sinai. So one common practice on Shavuot is to stay up all night studying hmm. to sort of show our eagerness to receive Torah. And so it's also a great way to have ecstatic experiences, sleep deprivation. <laughs> yeah. I think you and I have mentioned on this podcast before a text that we're both very fond of from the Zohar that is describing a sort of ecstatic experience that happens studying Torah all night during Shavuot that also has these sort of fiery images yeah. when words of Torah are joined together. So there is definitely like a sensibility around this holiday of revelation and I don't know what else, what other words to put around it, but there's like a, there are deep sort of mystical yeah. threads that come through, through this like sort of moment on the calendar. Yeah, that's a really interesting background. And, and so what's happening in this text is, I mean, Luke, Luke Acts is kind of re, reformulating the Jewish holiday and transforming it into a Christian celebration. So this is the point at mm-hmm, which mm-hmm, they become different mm-hmm. things. And then I'm so curious to hear the different kinds of, I don't know, texts or stories or, I don't know, memories that are evoked for you when it reads this description of what happens between verses two and four. Yeah. So let's start with, I mean, the first one that strikes me is the sort of rush of wind. Yeah. Which to me is evocative of creation. Yeah. You know, the Ruach Elohim, the the great wind that sweeps over creation. Yeah, no, I think what you're seeing there is exactly right. And, you know, you've said a couple things that I think are important in the about this text, even just already. And one is that in the Jewish tradition, this is associated with the giving of the Torah on Sinai. And so in that sense, the Jewish celebration of Pentecost or Shavuot, in that sense, celebrates the creation of, sort of the creation of the Jewish people mm-hmm. as a community of the covenant, right? It's mm-hmm. like the first giving of the Torah. And so this, I think, in the in Acts telling is trying to retell that story in a way that creates something new, right? Mm-hmm. So the giving of the Holy Spirit on this particular day of Pentecost is meant to parallel the giving of the Torah on that day to Moses. And so this is the creation of the Christian community as a community of the Spirit in the way that the Jewish community was created as a community of the Torah mm-hmm. on the same day. And so I think what you're seeing there is important that this is like there is an act of creation that is happening right here. And that act of creation is the creation of the spirit filled people who are going to become the Christian church. You know, I love that. And as you were talking, I was thinking about the specific scene as it unfolds at Sinai. And I don't remember anything in there in particular about winds, but I do remember a lot of sort of like disruption or extreme expressions of of natural phenomena so like thunder and earthquakes yeah. and lightning and smoke and fire and and all of that and in some ways and so this text will go on to talk about fire and so we'll get into the fire image in just a minute but it's interesting to think about starting with wind you know starting yeah. even back before and it would make sense that you know, the New Testament wanting to create a new a new community, a new covenant would go back even before that moment at Sinai. It's I like going right. it's yeah. it's like the selection of Abraham, you know, like it's gonna go back 
to the very beginning. I'm curious what you're thinking, what you're thinking about the fire alighting on them. When I see that, you know, I, I see there is one, there is one source of fire, which is somehow it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit and mm-hmm. it has alighted on each of them individually. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this sense that there is the individual manifestations in each individual person of a common spirit that mm-hmm. is animating this whole thing. And this becomes an important theme in Pauline, the- Pauline theology, as we've seen, that there are individual gifts, but they're all one spirit. And so to me, that's one of the places my head goes in thinking about the significance of the fire in this text is that common substance that is sort of come on all of them together. I love that. You know, I was thinking about the fire and the, the use of fire, you know, in the fire in the burning bush, right? So it was his pretty clear connection to God. And then the pillar of fire that leads the Israelites through the desert in Exodus. But then I love what you're pointing out there, that instead of having one pillar that is leading the entire community here, it it is one, but also, you know, divides up on each individual. So there is more of an individuation of the way that that divine presence plays out. That's really lovely. I like that a lot. Yeah. I hadn't made that connection to the pillar of fire, but I think it's a really good one. And I like that. Instead of there being a fire out there that you follow, there's a fire like like us on each person. It's yeah. almost like a the fire within or something like that that moves the people forward. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And I think it's really it's a beautiful metaphor for for what these texts are gonna go on to do in terms of what does true Christian community look like and when are the places where we need to all be doing the same thing together and when is it more each individually led by a common mission but we don't have to align our behaviors so precisely. Yeah. Yeah, that's really nice. No, I love that. And then that connects to this next notion that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and the first thing the Spirit lets them do is speak in other languages. Mm-hmm. You know, the Holy Spirit could have enabled them all to speak the same language, or it could have enabled the yeah. hearers to hear the common language or something. But instead, what it does is it, it enables the apostles to speak in the language of the people who are going to be gathered around, which I think comes back to this idea of the commonality not erasing individual difference. And so there is a cultural diversity that's possible when what's happening is we we learn through the power of the spirit to speak another person's language like that is reaching out to them in their own language, their own idiom, their own custom. And so there is a potential, I think, to read this text as what the Holy Spirit empowers people to do is embrace across cultures, mm-hmm. people who have a common mission, but mm-hmm. don't have a homogenous identity or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because this because the first thing i thought of was the tower of babel yeah although you're you're exactly right that a a true undoing of the story of the tower of babel would have meant all of a sudden everyone spoke the same language again and that's not what happens right but if the point of the diversifying of language in the story of the tower of babel is so that people cannot talk to each other that part is partially undone here. I think that's right. And I think our Emory colleague, Eric Barreto, who's at Princeton now, I think he he writes about this text and the, and the Babel text. And 
that's one of his points is that this is not an erasure of cultural difference. Mm -hmm. This is an empowering of cooperation across cultural difference. Mm -hmm. And I think that distinction, both the connection to Babel and that language mm -hmm. and culture can be things that divide us. Yeah. And that this text then is not erasing cultural difference, but is saying the Holy Spirit enables us to work across cultural difference and build multicultural communities. I, I think that's a really beautiful and important idea. You know, there's one other resonance that I felt with this text that I wanted to raise. And I mean, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but this phrase tongues of fire is used once, at least once in the Hebrew Bible in Isaiah 5. Oh. Although, so the phrase in Isaiah 5 is, it seems to me to be more of a metaphor for what a flame of fire looks like. Because it just says, you know, as straw is consumed by a tongue of fire and hay shrivels as it burns, blah, blah, blah. So, it, you know, it doesn't sound like it's actually talking about like a literal tongue. <laughs> yeah. But the reason I bring it up is that I was glad to have my attention brought to Isaiah 5 because the message is really aligned with the texts that we're going to read after this from Galatians. It really is, you know, talking specifically about greed and drunkenness and revelry and, you know, avoiding a lot of the specific behaviors that Paul is going to be talking about in the text later today. So I don't know if that was an intentional connection by the narrative lectionary, but but y'all should go back and read Isaiah 5. It's a nice <laughs> I think I love that. No, I've never I've never connected this text to Isaiah 5 before. Maybe other people do that, but I've not seen that connection before. But that's a really that's a really nice connection. All right. Is there anything else we would like to say about this section in Acts? It is so weird to me to read Acts 2, 1 to 4 and then stop reading. <laughs> like I'm having to like not, I'm having to restrain myself from talking about the rest of this text, which is a beautiful and amazing text. But to me, I think what we have said prepares us well for the jump to, for the jump to Galatians. The jump to Galatians. Okay. So in addition to reading Isaiah 5, you should also continue reading Acts 2. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just the rest of Acts and then also, and also Galatians. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all should read the Bible. There's good stuff in there. <laughs> Bible is awesome. But for now, we are turning several pages to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Okay, so we've done some reading from Galatians before. It's true. We're back with them. Chapter 5, verse 16. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so having <laughs> having sort of read through that list and and we'll we'll dive into the details, I guess, of, of what's there and what's yeah. not there mm -hmm. in a moment. But one question I have going into this section is what other words could we use for what Paul is calling spirit and flesh here? Yeah, I mean I think what Paul has in mind here is an apocalyptic worldview in which the world is a struggle between the powers of God and the powers of death, you know, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I mean, we're not talking about just like mundane things here. We're talking about 
there are competing ways of living life. And some of those are animated by the spirit of God and come from the heavenly spaces. And some of those things are animated by worldly desires and, you know, further the powers of the, the powers of the world. And Paul, I think, is trying to draw that dichotomy. How do you tell when people are living a life that is, you know, spirit infused? And how do you tell when, when people are, I guess, I mean, he's really asking about you yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you self-diagnose? And when are you doing things that serve, you know, human nature, I think might be a way of talking about it, or the power of sin, something like that. No, that makes a lot of sense that I, I almost have this image in my head as you're talking of, of like, just sort of changing the horizon that you're focused on, you know, for, for better or for worse, and we'll get into the list in its specifics in a minute, there's not a lot of detail around this. Like, not a lot of people's going to say, well, I'm motivated by licentiousness. Like, like <laughs> yeah. you know, but at least to set as, as an intention, <laughs> yeah. you know, certain more elevated principles. Yeah. Paul's saying, start there. Yeah. Start with the intention. I think that's right. You're in the NRSV verse, the very first verse there, verse 16. Mm -hmm. Can you read that again? Yeah. Live by the spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Yeah, that the NRSV reads that as a, that second phrasing as an imperative, do not. Mm -hmm. The Greek is arguably better translated, I think in the CEB, I say, be guided by the spirit and you won't carry out your selfish desires. Mm -hmm. So it's not, you've got a choice before you do this, don't do that. Mm -hmm. It's, if you do this, you won't do that, right? That's such an important difference. It's really, really different. Yeah. Yeah. So the point is focus on the spirit and it will naturally manifest itself in your life in ways that look like the fruit of the spirit that we're going to get to later. Mm -hmm. If you mm -hmm. don't focus on the spirit, then you're going to end up doing all this other kind of stuff. Yeah, no, you know, I was thinking too is, you know, once I got to the verse 18, if you're led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. I was I was thinking it might be worth at least mentioning, I don't know how much our listeners know about sort of what all is included in the law, you know, and yeah. that there are certainly lots of ritual laws and lot, you know, whatever, there's a lot of different kinds of laws. But there are also a lot of laws that are specifically formulated to try to help people live well in community. Yeah. And so I was thinking in particular, I don't know why, but in the book of Exodus, and then reiterated in Deuteronomy, there's a whole section of laws about helping to return lost items, and you are required to return lost items. And there's a section in there on sort of returning lost items to your enemy. And there's a requirement to help your enemy lift an animal who has fallen under its own burden, which to me, so like you're picturing like a donkey with a, you know, heavy backpack. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that has fallen under the weight of it. And one person alone is not going to be able to lift the weight off that donkey. But if you picture passing your enemy and being required... Yeah. To stop and interact with them and help them with this thing, it really does, like, that changes the way a community exists. I mean, yeah. the text, as it is in the Torah, acknowledges that, like, yeah, not everyone's your friend. We get yeah. that. But you have to behave in a certain way. And I know that the specificity of that is not Paul's cup of tea. 
But I just, I don't know. I just want to draw out that I, for me, having the specificity of that yeah. example sets a really particular bar yeah. that is not about how do you feel about people. Yeah. You can feel your feelings and you can aspire to feel better feelings, but you can also act yourself into those feelings by having that bar set for you and agreed upon by the community. So the question of how community is formed and how we live well together as diverse groups of folks is a really interesting question. There, I don't know. There are a lot of different ways into it. And I, I see Paul's way and I, I yeah. think I'm starting to understand it. But I still like the specificity of the law. <laughs> no, I love that. And I love that particular example. And I love that it's a donkey who gives out because it's carrying so much stuff, which like to me... In my non-spirit-filled days, like such an image of schadenfreude right there where I'm like, my totally. enemy has been so successful that they have a donkey full of stuff and haha, your donkey like gave out. <laughs> like I would totally yeah. be, like I yeah. could totally see myself going by that person and being like, nah, nah. <laughs> no, I, I love that. I love that point specifically because then jealousy is in this, in this yeah. list that he's going to yes. give. And so like that is a specific counterpoint to jealousy. Yeah. Like you can feel what you feel, but you can't let it take over your actions. Okay. Should we look at what specifically is included in this list and maybe think about what's not included in the list? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so my question is. What categories of <laughs> bad behavior <laughs> does Paul include? He doesn't have anything about dishonesty. He doesn't have anything about justice issues. This is not like a full list of all the things you shouldn't do. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And he, he's got that little catch-all word like in the CEB at the end of verse or in the middle of verse 21 and other things like that. Yeah. <laughs> like this is, these are examples of a bigger category that he has in mind for sure. Yes, 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 for sure. No, he doesn't, he doesn't claim that he's listing out every specific thing. But I'm wondering if you have thoughts or observations about the kinds of things that he draws out in this list for the specific context that he's in. Like, where is he focusing? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, this reads like a typical, you know, like a vice list kind of thing in the at the beginning so you kind of like when you when he says works of the flesh like most people are thinking like oh he's gonna he's gonna talk about sex and like the first thing he talks about is sex right yeah in the ceb sexual immorality moral corruption and doing whatever feels good and you know he's not very precise about what he means by that but you know the way that i kind of interpret that is you know sexual behavior that is Mm self-gratifying those kind of things are kind of what you think he's gonna say right and so there's nothing Mm -hmm. too surprising there But then this whole middle section, I think, is really important. Like, he shifts into things that are sort of, like, community dividers. Like, hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousy. Like, in the CEB, like, that list of things is things that divide people from each other. Mm -hmm. And I, to me, that's the interesting part of this list. Yeah. it's, It's not simply, you should not do these things because these things are bad things. It's you should not do these things because these things are placing your needs above the needs of the community to which you belong. Mm-hmm. And it's going to destroy the communal fabric. And we cannot have that. Mm-hmm. That's the way I read that list. What mm-hmm. What do you mm-hmm. see when you look at that list? I mean, I think similarly that it, yeah, it's, these are all things that 
<laughs> I want to say like, it's like a list of ways to try to avoid conflict in some ways. Although like in my translation, it says dissensions. And I was like, you yeah. can't dissent. Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Like how, how, and to have something on there, like no idolatry, of course, it's no surprise that you can't, you know, do that, but then no dissensions. Like, well, what if you see someone doing something that you think is idolatry? Like it's, but I think it's intentionally, you know, as we said, again, like it's intentionally open in terms of how exactly you're going to work it out. The other thing to come back to is I, th- I really think that translation of verse 16 is really important. Be guided by the spirit and you won't do these things yeah. instead of do this, don't do that. Yeah. Because Paul is not saying do not dissent. Mm-hmm. Paul is saying if you follow the spirit, you will not have dissensions. Mm. which I realize is like, that almost sounds just like a little semantic game. But I think in Paul's head, it's not. I think the thing you should do is seek the spirit. And if you, if dissensions arise in your community, it means that you are not seeking the spirit enough or something like that. And so the solution is not to not dissent. The solution is to seek the spirit more. I think that's an important differentiation. And I also want to ask, I don't know if this is a fair question. Do you think that's true? Like if there's dissent within a group, they just have to keep going back to the spirit because the spirit's intention is that there will never be, that there will not be dissent. But I will say like, I mean, this is a really rough analogy, but like, you know, like in a, in a relationship, like in your relationship with your spouse, at least in my case, sometimes we have fundamental disagreements about things and we are never going to convince each other Mm -hmm. that I'm right, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what we can do is say, you know what, this fight that we're having, like, this isn't who we are. Like, there mm-hmm. is this whole other thing behind that that is more important than this fight. Mm-hmm. And we still disagree about the thing that we disagreed about, but it changes the tenor of the conversation. Maybe that's what Paul has in mind. The Holy Spirit is that pre that prior commitment of the mm-hmm. community that you can go back to and say this commitment is more fundamental than this thing that we that we're having yeah to almost about. like a pick your battles kind of yeah kind of thing and don't pick many <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah okay i think i'm ready to ask you about this last verse before we read the next section and it is this yeah those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of god yeah Well, first, I want to ask you, how does that square with your reading of verse 16, where it's where you you don't want to set up a quite oppositional don't do that? Yeah. Isn't this pretty much saying don't do that? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, what I would say about that is, first of all, that the those who do these things is not like a one off. You know, the the verb tense there suggests those who mm. make a habit of doing these Got things. It. Those who inhabit the world this way. Yeah. yeah. If you live a life that is characterized by these things, you will not inherit God's kingdom. And, you know, exactly how Paul thinks about that, you know, I'm not entirely sure. I, I can get it two possible ways. Like one is the sort of proximate meaning of the kingdom of God, which is not actually a term Paul uses very often. But like in the way that the kingdom of God is in breaking into the world and like we can partially inhabit it now, like if your life is characterized by these things, you're not living in, mm-hmm. you're not living in God's kingdom now. Right. I also think that he has a future sense in mind that you won't be part of the world to come. And, and what I think he means by that is if you are, if you're, if these things are manifesting themselves in your life, you're not actually seeking the spirit and mm-hmm. therefore you're not going to 
be included in the spirits community in the in the world, either now or in the world to come. And so you need to, you know, reevaluate. All right, let's read this last little bit of text, shall we? Let's do it. Okay, so I'm picking up in verse 22. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. Yeah. So would you say this is pretty much like the flip side of that same list? Is that how you see that this list of positive traits? I think so. Yeah, like the, especially that observation we were making about community life. And mm-hmm. this list of things, I think, is a list of things that make for good participation in community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a couple of things in the way that he that he says that. The first is that in verse 22... The fruit of the spirit is that's in the singular. And I keep having to correct myself because in my head, I I sometimes say the fruits of the spirit, but Mm -hmm. it's not. It's the fruit. And so it's interesting that there is sort of one manifestation of the spirit and it looks like this list of things. Mm -hmm. And so they come together, right? It's not like you can bear some of these fruits. It's like you will bear this That's a really interesting point. That it's not that these are individual character traits that you can like have one of and not another, but they are of a piece. I think that's right. And relatedly, that notice there is no law against things like this, I think is a way of saying you can scour the Torah mm-hmm. and the Torah never tells you not to manifest these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so if, you, if you're manifesting these kinds of things, you know you're not violating the Torah. And therefore, like, knowing the specifics of the Torah becomes less urgent. And so, like, live your life in that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you will not have, like, that's like build a fence around the Torah idea. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the fence, right, is make sure all of these things are, are the way you live. Which is a really super high bar and, and a little vague. <laughs> but that, I think that's what he's after. That's interesting. I read that that same verse as more like... We can at least, I'm not asking you to do anything that the Torah has prohibited. Like, I'm not asking you to break Uh. from Torah by focusing on these things. So at least we can agree on these. Mm. But I think your reading sounds more in line with other things that Paul has said. (laughs) I have this funny note for verse 24. So where it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Mm Mm-hmm. The note I have is, have they, though? <laughs> <laughs> like, based on people that you know? like <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess that sounds aspirational. Yeah. I think you're right that that is aspirational. And that if you look around at Christians that you know, and Christians who look at ourselves, that is not the way that we live every moment of every day. For some of well, us, I mean, it's not, of course, it's not of the course. way we live any moment of any day for some of us, probably. And so, yeah, so I think Paula has an idealistic view of, of what is possible here. But I think he really means it. Like, this is what, this is what that should look like, is you, ha- you do nothing out of selfish desire. You do everything out of mm. the well-being, out of a sense of well-being of the community. You know, last week I was on a, a Beit Dean, which is like a panel of learned Jews that serves as a decision-making body. 
And it was for someone who was converting to Judaism. And so they meet with a Beit Din and we sort of talk about their their decision to convert and make sure they're ready. And one of the things I always make sure to say when I'm part of a Beit Din is essentially, often people come to convert and list as part of their reason for wanting to convert the hypocrisy they have encountered in other religious communities. Yeah. And I am always careful to say, look, humans are a hot mess and Jewish people are humans. And if you haven't encountered hypocrisy yet in our community, you will. Mm -hmm. So I guess I want to say that in part because maybe it sounded a little too strident for me to say, like, have they, though? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, I don't mean to say that Jews do any better with this than Christians, but just that that none of us are complete in this way. And all of us are, are trying to figure out how to move towards the horizon, whether there's specific, you know, pathways that our tradition carves for us to follow or whether it's more of an open individual, individualized, that's not a word, (laughs) more of an individual path. Yeah, it's all, it's all aspirational. Faith is, I think faith is all. all Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's exactly right. And I think Paul knows that. Yeah. And yet he's trying to articulate a clear vision, I think, of what the ideal is. Mm-hmm. And I love that list of, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. The one I do not resonate with, and I don't know what this says about me, is self-control. I'm like, that was such a <laughs> such a flat ending to that list. <laughs> well, he has to have some parallels in there to all the, the appetites that he mentioned for fornication yeah. and drunkenness Yeah, in the first list. Now, I think self-control is, yeah, I think it's probably... A good one. And maybe it's the one that I need to work on the most or something. I don't know. Like usually like when you, when you're like, oh no, not that one. That usually is the one that's the, the one. (laughs) It speaks to you. Yeah. So Bobby, on our last episode of the narrative lectionary season, how does this text speak to you today? I really love this text kind of in general, and I probably have referred to it on the podcast multiple times when it wasn't actually the text before us. I extra love this text on Pentecost in connection with the Pentecost story in Acts chapter two, which I had never made that connection before, but I I really love it. And, you know, in Acts chapter two, what we have is the formational moment of the Christian community. The Holy Spirit rushes on. And it common spirit that motivates all the people and what it motivates them to do is to learn how to communicate or to just be able to communicate across cultural bounds, not by erasing those boundaries, but actually by learning to cross them in ways that can be heard by people of a different culture. That's such a beautiful idea. And that the thing the spirit motivates in the community is this list of things love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that are communal values. They draw us together. And what they do, or at least what they should do, is create a community where the community matters more than each individual in the community. So we've each Mm -hmm. got our little tongue of flame or whatever, but they're part of the same fire. Mm -hmm. I really love that idea about what the church could be, what the church should be, And I also think this list is radically different than the values that are given to us in American culture, at least the way I exist in American culture, Mm -hmm. which is about sort of rampant individualism and 
got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and take what's yours and, you know, here are my rights and don't mess with me. This list is not that. This list is, in fact, the opposite of that, which is give up all of those things, self-striving, and instead seek to form community in ways that crucify the self and embrace the community. So, you know, I think one could read this list as like a sweet little list of like nice characteristics. But I think this text is actually a pretty strident challenge to a set of values that often characterize the culture that I live in anyway, as a middle class white American man. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the question of like, well, what spirit are you seeking? I think is a really good one. And if I'm seeking a spirit that manifests itself in ways that American culture <laughs> gives a thumbs up to, I I don't know that that's the, I'm seeking the right spirit. Yeah. And so to pay attention to what manifests itself in your life, to see what spirit you're seeking, and then to seek a spirit that brings you together with community of people who are not like yourself. To me, that's what these two texts together are saying. Mm -hmm. How does the spirit you're seeking motivate you to learn how to communicate, to form relationships, to value people who are across cultural divides from you? If it Mm -hmm. does that, it's probably the spirit of God. If Mm -hmm. it does not do that, it's probably something else. That's what I'm taking from this text on on this Pentecost. Yeah, no, I I really love that. And I I think it ties in some ways to my reflections on this text. Mm -hmm which for me are all are all connected to questions about community formation and yeah. and what are the things that form community and it's so interesting thinking about the Jewish Christian community that Paul is speaking to who are coming from this context where their best sort of weapon against this rampant individualism and just, you know, pursuit of your own well-being. They had two. One of them was this very clear idea in the text that their fates are all tied together. Yeah. You know, no one's, (laughs) they don't really have an individual fate. And so they need to be attentive to the entire people, but it was a specific people, right? It was the people Israel. And so now what is it how do yeah. how do we help that grow and set the set the horizon differently is a huge question. And I think if one of their weapons against individualism was the sense that their fates were tied together, the other was the law. Yeah. And Paul is now grappling with a situation yeah. where both of those need to be if not quite thrown away, at least wildly broadened, like a lot of the specificity in them falls away. And it just has me thinking about in community formation generally, when is specificity helpful? Like when do do people really need to agree upon certain tenets of faith or types of behaviors or norms and expectations or whatever? And when is the real power in sort of setting the horizon and at like putting the get, al- get along t-shirt on people <laughs> and yeah. saying like, you guys are going to have to wrestle out what this looks like. Because if I do that work for you, you're never really going to understand it or have the intention behind it or be able to problem solve within it. Yeah. You know, so how do we, how do we balance those, those things is, is complicated. And I think ongoing work in, in both of our faith communities. But it certainly is a a question that is still pressing upon us today. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, peace out. No. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Well, this is um, the end of season two of Bible Worm. It is. Like, I can't believe it's been two years already, but it has been a fun, a fun year of, I mean, this is the, the pandemic Bible Worm year. Yeah, no, it's it's been a great year. And I, you know, I so appreciate the folks who have joined our Patreon this year, which has really allowed us to do a lot more and yes. bring on some folks to help us with editing so that we have time to actually record episodes instead of, you know, having to dedicate half your week to editing out the ridiculous things I say. <laughs> yeah. No, that's for sure. So thanks to everybody who supports us on Patreon and everybody who listens to Bible Worm and engages with the podcast on in the Facebook group and elsewhere. And a special thanks to our editors, Joel Becker and Laura Becker, and also to our liturgist, Terry Peterson, mm-hmm. who have made the Bible Worm community even richer in ways that, that we very much appreciate. We'll be back in September working on the next year of the lectionary cycle in the Gospel of John. We may have some other things coming along, or we may not. We don't we, we don't really know. We don't really <laughs> know what we're doing. We're going to wait for the Spirit to alight upon yeah, our shoulders and exactly. tell us what comes next. Yeah. So this summer on The Bible Worm, we do not we will not be producing new episodes, but we have produced for anyone who is uh, looking for things to do in your congregation. We have our series from last summer on the Megilote, the Festival Scrolls, Song mm-hmm. of Songs, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and Esther. So those episodes are available from last summer. Our Patreon, Terry Peterson, is going to be writing new liturgies for those. There are also some video lessons that go along with those. So if, you're look, if you just can't get enough of the Bible worm, you can go back and listen to those old episodes. All right, Amy, I'll see you in the fall. I'll see you then. Be well. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Bible Worm. If you'd like to hear the rest of our conversation about this text, join our Patreon at the extended worm level or higher to get access to extended episodes. You'll also find other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more starting at just $4 per month. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bible Worm is produced by Bobby Williamson and edited by Joel and Laura Becker. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby. We're so grateful to all our supporters for helping us keep the podcast going. A special thank you to our executive producer, Fox Valley Presbyterian Church in Geneva, Illinois, and to our newest sponsor, Steve Marin. This is the final episode of our second season, but I hope you'll stick around this summer while we run our series on Ruth, Esther, Song of Songs, Kohelet, and Lamentations, this time complete with liturgies for our Patreon supporters. We look forward to our next season with you. Until then, keep on digging.